You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Lansman. So we've been going through the series since uh, the beginning of November called What's the Point? Last week we talked about uh, what worship does. We talked about, if you remember, worship does God's story by doing two things. By remembering the past and by anticipating the future. By remembering the past and anticipating the future. We also learned that we are called to become participants in God's story. His plan of redemption and salvation that is meant to renew all things. Also, we talked about how God's story is ongoing And once we are Christ's, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God. He saves us for himself, for his purposes. We belong to him. We are his servants. St. Paul says in like all of his letters, right, in all of his epistles, he says, Paul, a servant, a doulos, a servant or a slave of God, that we are his. We are called for his purposes, and his purposes are far greater than, than giving us comfortable lives. And we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that today. So we're going to shift a little bit now from talking about how worship remembers God's story and how worship anticipates the future. What we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the pattern of worship itself. The pattern of worship itself. So when we start to think about worship, we start to think about language that we might hear in churches that's used to describe worship. You might hear the, the language of a stage. For many years, I worked at a, ch- a huge, huge, huge church, and we had, we didn't just have a stage, we had a platform. It was massive, and there was a massive uh, thing in the middle that uh, there was a secret button that you could push, and it would retract. And so people you know, could come forward for uh, invitations and so forth. But I thought, I, I've been thinking about that language Stage, audience, experience. And this kind of, for me, evokes this language of, of, of theater, of spectator, not as participants. And I think that when we use, kind of when we hear that language, it kind of shows how focus has shifted from worship as being something that tells us God's story and how we participate in God's story. And it changes the focus to us, to our, our individual story. So I'm not talking, when I talk about patterns here, please, I'm not talking about worship wars. You know, we've, churches have fought over the contemporary or traditional. Contemporary, ah, traditional over here. Ah, and then never the, never the two shall meet. It's not, we're not talking about style. We're talking, about, we're talking about patterns, and we're not here to say one style is better than another style. What we're trying to do is, is bring our minds to and our hearts to the pattern that we see. Because that pattern is biblical, and following the pattern that God has given us, it does something. It roots us in something deeper than ourselves. It roots us in something deeper than what our culture has to offer. It roots us in God's saving act. And then I think when we lose this idea about the pattern as a whole, about what worship is, what worship does, and how it flows, I think what happens is then we start to focus on one particular aspect of a service over another. Some people might say, I loved the music. It was great. 
but the sermon was terrible. I'm never going back to that church. Or you might hear people say, the sermon was terrible, but the music was amazing. I think I may keep going there. Even if I don't like what the guy has to say, I do like the singing and the music. Or some traditions place a premium on having a particular spiritual experience. And some traditions, they place an emphasis on creating a moment of crisis where somebody has to make a decision to to follow Christ or to not follow Christ. And those things, brothers and sisters, are all good and they're all helpful. But what happens is when we've lost the pattern, we started to focus on aspects of service of worship service, instead of worship kind of as a whole. So we're going to talk a little bit about that kind of today. What's the point? Why, are, why do we worship the way we do? And the pattern that we find in Scripture is this. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four things here. All right, four things. <laughs> I'm so eloquent. Four things. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. The first one is Gathering. Okay, the gathering where we come together. And that's when we have the call to worship, right? The call goes out to us, right? God calls us to enter into his presence, right? That's why we start services with a quotation, usually from the Psalms, that God is drawing us, that God is calling us to enter into worship. God calls, and what do we do? We respond. We respond, and we are drawn into his presence. And then after the call to worship, after we're drawn into his presence, we move then into confession. We move into confession. And we wonder why, has anybody ever wondered why we do confession? Just corporately, together? I have. Maybe you have. Maybe you don't. But confession comes from once God calls us into his presence, Because we are sinful creatures, when something sinful is in the presence of something that's holy, it makes us aware of our shortcomings. It makes us aware of our sinfulness. It makes us aware that we are unworthy to stand in the presence of a holy yet loving God. This then should lead us to confess our sins. Many churches relegate confession to just private at-home confession. And then some churches take confession and they they have a very high view of confession where you have to confess to a particular person. But brothers and sisters, corporate confession, as we're all here together, it's something that we need. I think it's even something that our culture needs. People need that. We have this desire that we just have to get something off our chests. And sometimes we may do something bad or something wrong and we live with that guilt because we keep it inside and we don't tell anybody, we don't tell God. And I think that our culture in general needs confession. I remember I used to work for a bookstore called Borders. May it rest in peace. The best bookstore chain in the world before they went out of business. And now there's only Barnes & Noble, unfortunately. And Books A Million, I guess. But there was a website that started... And the purpose of the website was people could anonymously post confessions of things that they've done wrong. Not even seeking absolution from a pastor or a minister or the church or anything. It was just a place where people could go and unburden themselves. 
And so it caught on like wildfire, so much so that the people then took it and put a book together. People started sending in collages and got creative with photography and so forth, bearing their souls of the things that they had done wrong because they just needed to tell somebody. They needed to confess to somebody. And brothers and sisters, if people can come and confess to an anonymous website or to a publisher, how much more should we come into the presence of God and bring our sins and the things that we've done before him. Because unlike this website and this book, those things are great, but they can't offer forgiveness. They can't offer absolution. There is nothing there. There is no promise that people can rely on in that to say, I've been absolved, or I've been forgiven, or my sins are gone. Like Christ promises in the gospel to forgive our sins. If we are faithful and just, Scripture reminds us, he will cleanse us of our sins. If we confess our sins, he will cleanse us from our sins and forgive our unrighteousness. So we need confession. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. And then that's when the absolution comes in, is that God's love and God's forgiveness is are available to us because he loves us. Some religious traditions, they focus so much on God's holiness and they overemphasize, over, I can't even talk today, emphasize. <laughs> Some traditions overemphasize God's wrath, right? God's wrath is all that matters and they mitigate his love. Like God's love because it just becomes something, eh. But scripture doesn't say that God is wrath. Scripture says that God has wrath. Scripture actually says that God is what? Love. That God is love. And what we forget is that God's anger isn't just something that he... It's not like he's sitting up there in heaven and he snaps and now all of a sudden he's angry now because he is. And what happens is God's wrath is... It's brought forth out of him by injustice. It's sparked by... It's sparked by human evil. It's sparked by... This, this, this understanding that things are bad and that, not that things are bad, maybe that's not the best way to put it, but when we talk about God's wrath, it comes from this place of understanding how wicked sin is and how much it's destructive and how, we, how often we turn to that instead of turning to him. But he loves us and he forgives us and he promises that he would. And then we get to the second aspect is the listening, where we hear the word of God proclaimed, and we're actually going to talk about the word in a minute. We're called to continued participation in God's story through the proclamation of his word. The book of Hebrews tells us faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. And then the third one is communing, right? This is the culmination of worship. We have been reconciled to God when we come before the Lord's table, when we come partake of communion, when we receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the culmination of worship. James Smith says the Lord's Supper isn't just a way to remember something that was accomplished in the past. It is a feast that nourishes our hearts now. It's something that nourishes our hearts now. And we're going to talk about that next week. And then number four, the sending. After meeting God, after confessing our sin, after hearing his word, after being fed the body and blood of Christ, we are then sent out into the world to fulfill the Great Commission. 
And this, brothers and sisters, this gathering, this listening, this communing, and this sending, this is the pattern. This is what shapes our hearts. This is what recalibrates our loves. And this is what switches our focus from ourselves onto God and onto others. Like we heard in the reading from Amos today, right? God said in the reading, the feasts and the festivals, I hate them. And he says that he hates them because they forgot something very important to God to do justice. And he lists them earlier in the passage, bribery, trampling the poor, other aspects of injustice. The, 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 in, in this passage, they're remembering to keep the feasts. They're remembering this one side at the expense of the poor, at the expense of the other. And so they need that recalibration. They need their hearts reshaped, just like we need to as well. So now that we have those, those four we need to talk about the importance of worship as focused around two things, the word and the table. Right? The word's an easy one because that's what, we're, that's what I'm doing right now. Right? I'm proclaiming the word of God to you. When I'm proclaiming the word of God to you, that helps us to remember right, what God has done for us in the past. That proclamation of his story. And then when we do that, when we experience that, we then can find ourselves in the story. And oftentimes when we preachers, we have this tendency to, and I've done it, and I'm sure your favorite preacher's done it too, if you listen to a bunch of different preaching podcasts, is lots of times when we preach, there's a temptation to reduce the proclamation of the word of God to success steps for, you know, for good Christian living, right? Do these three things, and God will bless your finances, right? Do these three things, and your relationships with your family will be great. Do these four things, and you're going to have the best work environment ever. Or what we do is sometimes we say, <clears throat> through preaching, we reduce God to a genie in the sky who will, who will grant all of our wishes and all of our desires. And that's a temptation, I think, for all preachers. But what we're called to do, brothers and sisters, that's not what Scripture is for. What we need to do as preachers and as people who hear the word, we need to learn how to read and hear scripture in light of itself and how the church has read and interpreted it. And that way is easy, right? Jesus is the interpretive key for all of scripture. So, right, so when we read the Old Testament, when we read the problematic portions of the Old Testament, and there's stuff in there that's awful, we have to remember that Jesus is the one through whom we read all of that. In the Gospel of Luke 24, 25 to 27, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears to two disciples. And they're like, oh, Jesus was here. He was crucified. Now he's dead. We thought he was going to be the Savior and the hope of Israel. And then Jesus says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And listen to this. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then he's known to them, we read later on, where? Here. At the breaking of the bread, at the table. Right? So the preaching of the word in the table. We'll talk about the table next week. But Jesus makes himself the one through whom we read and interpret Scripture. Colossians 1, 15-16 reminds us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the point of all of the stories in the Old Testament as fulfilled in the New. And then we also have to remember that the proclamation of the word of God doesn't just help us to remember and find ourselves in God's story. It also reminds us of the relationship that we have. Right? We see in the scripture, God the Father sends the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is relational. We, have, we serve a relational God. And we're called by scripture into that relationship as well. Scripture is also relational. And we see this example, right? We see this example, God calls his people. He calls Israel. And then after he calls Israel, he then calls the church. God is a relational God. And in the proclamation of God's word, we are brought back into that relationship as well. And we can find ourselves in that relationship because ultimately we're sharing in that relationship. And so when we read and we hear the word, we need to interpret that through the lens of Jesus Christ. And I think a final example, which would be helpful for us, there's a, there's a portion in the Gospels where Jesus goes to the synagogue. And it says, as his custom, he opened the scroll and sat down or, and stood up to read. And he read this one part that said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, we know this text, right? We've heard it over and over and over again. To, to bring good news to the poor, you know, to bring sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So when we read this through the lens of Jesus Christ, we understand that we're not just experiencing that spiritually. It's not that Jesus is just restoring sight to the spiritually blind, or he's bringing good news to the spiritually poor, or he's setting at liberty the spiritually oppressed. That's true. But like the reading in Amos reminds us, that we're, that's all, there's also, also an actual physical here and now aspect to that, because Jesus actually then goes about doing that, not just spiritually, but physically, by healing the blind by setting people at liberty, by bringing God's healing and God's, God's love to them. And so, brothers and sisters, as we seek to follow that pattern that Christ left for us, that the scriptures left for us, as we learn to hear the word, to be part of God's story, to find ourselves in it, and then also to see Jesus primarily in it, and then to understand that we're called into relationship with God just like the people in Scripture were, that should then give us hope, that should guide us, that should give us faith that God is with us, that God loves us, and that he has called us for himself and for his purposes. And so, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and his all-holy, good, and life-giving Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful Northampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.